So you want to be sure that the reviews you are showing on your website. Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, anyone who want to learn more about local SEO, local marketing. Welcome. Today we are going to discuss or unhide some secrets, how you can get your rank positions, traffic, sales, and many things that concern user behavior, review management, many other stuff. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Mike Blumenthal. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you. I don't feel a day over 29. You know, I'm blessed to learn from you. Uh, you spoke two times on my podcast. I love this episode. So valuable. I like all your value that you can share and looking forward to learn more. Mike, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience, background and anything that can help our new listeners to learn more about you because old listeners know you. My family ran a retail business that got creamed by Amazon and mail order and the internet. And we ended up closing the business after been open for 60 years, laying off 50 employees was very difficult. After that, I got onto the internet, built local websites, created a content management system, and realized very shortly that I needed to understand organic local search because most of my clients were local. And then in 2005, local search in a broader sense when Google introduced the local listings and then later merged it with the pack. So since 2006, which is now whatever that is, uh, 17 years, I've been examining Google's behaviors along with their competitors towards how they show and display localized search results. Obviously, early on, it was Yahoo and Bing and a bunch of other Yelp and other companies, MapQuest, and etc. These days, it's just Google, but I still, there's a lot to study, and I've been studying it for all those years and writing about it. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I like how you tell about you, uh, Google behavior. It's not like user behavior, <laughs> Google behavior, because Google right. changes its algorithm uh, so often. Uh, well, it, Google behavior goes beyond just their algorithm, right? They, yeah. they have a mindset about how they want to run their business. And so oftentimes I have to explain, I sit at the juncture between Google, small business and agencies and have to explain to small businesses and agency how Google thinks about problems because they do not run their business the way we think businesses should be run and it causes conflict. An example being they'll introduce a new feature or a new product and discontinue it, you know, six months after your business just started using it. So, uh, but this is the Google way and they don't want to be constrained by mere mortals as it were. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like it. Uh, Mike, let's talk about user behavior. You know, when I started my digital journey, I completely ignore users because uh, competition was low. And uh, that was simple to game the system. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know other methods, how to buy mobile links, how to uh, create content for search engines, but things change a lot. And today I pay more attention to users than to Google itself because Google serves human being. 
can you tell about user behavior? How to learn it? How to get data and create content for users? Right. So getting data about user behavior is difficult because all we see typically in analytics is the end result of their behavior. We see whether they came to our website or they didn't come to our website, whether we rank higher than somebody else or whether we don't. But we very rarely truly understand what drives their behaviors. So one of the projects, commercial projects that we've undertaken at Near Media with David Vim and Greg Sterling is for, for multi-location businesses that want to understand how users make the determination which business to pick, we conduct consumer behavior research and we videotape them and we track all of their behaviors, both uh, qualitatively and quantitatively. So we see where they clicked and where they scrolled and what they did and what comments they made. And so we've been tabulating this. We've done several of these projects uh, for clients and the results are, the, Amazing because one of the things I realized was that the what we see in analytics is often colored by our own behaviors in search. But people don't behave the way I do as much as I would like to think that they do. They behave the way their own quirky selves behave. And it's quite a bit different than what I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it takes time to collect data, right. to learn your customers. And sure. I like old school, you know, how to learn your customers, to speak directly with them, right. to, uh, to communicate with sales. And that, that's people. a great way. If customers are coming into your business, asking them how they found you, what they considered before they chose you, those kinds of questions can be very valuable because, but again, you're seeing it at the end, so you don't know about all the ones you lost. So what we're doing is we're actually videotaping people through this experience and seeing how they behave to make that decision, which is information that only up to this point Google has had. Um, so but I, if you're a small business and all you have is access to your clients, you should leverage them for all they're worth. And once a year, interview a month or three months worth of clients to understand what decisions they made to choose you. Yeah, nice, nice. Can you tell more about this user behavior research? Because uh, what I usually see when companies use well-known tools like SEMrush, Ahrefs, Moz, uh, Whitespark, many great tools, and all these tools provide the average data. It's not like uh, that uh, each case is different. And uh, if you have this research, uh, did you pay attention to specific niche or just uh, all local SEO and how to use this data to specific case? So, so far, we, we believe that our, our current thesis is that behavior very much changes by niche, uh, depending on the situation. So, so far, we've explored three verticals, uh, legal uh, and two medical verticals. And the behavior, both Google's behavior and users' behavior has been different in those. So, we believe it's very uh, category dependent. For example, in legal, we gave people this question of, of, you know, they're having trouble on their job and they think they need to hire a lawyer, go to Google and figure it out. And we watched their behaviors while they did that. Uh, in the case of medical, we had a more constrained instruction, but we watched them while they looked for new doctors 
either in OBGYN or primary care. And they're both Google's results were different and user behaviors were somewhat different. One thing that was common across virtually all of those exercises, and we looked at over, we've looked at so far about, uh, I think, six, 500 videos um, and of people do, taking part in this exercise. One thing that is common across all of those is that people put a great deal, of, we know this and we've known it, great deal of store in reviews, in review stars, uh, in ratings and to a lesser extent, much lesser extent in quantity um, because they perceive that they're putting their life in the hands of somebody else in the case of medicine or in the case of this legal situation. And they really perceive reviews as critically important. Interestingly, ratings and quantity are proxies. Maybe 70% of all the searchers said, we think we're, we're really concerned with reviews. We only want the best. They often would click the filter or type best, you know, lawyer, best OBGYN. They would often select people at a very high levels, uh, four, seven and above. They didn't, they often wouldn't consider four, one, four, two, four, three, four, four as good enough quality. But interestingly, in all of that, very few of them, I think it was about 25% uh, actually read reviews. So yeah. most of them looked at the star ratings, trusted the reviews enough assuming there's enough volume and hopefully enough variety. In other words, Google often provides or websites provide third, not just their own reviews, but Google's and other third parties and consumers responded very well to that. In other words, when they, uh, over half the people ultimately came through to a website in all of these, um, if they got involved with GBP and mobile, over half of those didn't come to a website, but yeah. overall they did. But one, they really love the fact when businesses gave them a variety of review results from third party and first party, and a variety of ratings, and they honored that with, with, uh, you know, choice. Uh, but frequently they didn't read the reviews; they just looked at the source yeah. of the reviews, et cetera. So, so that was sort of very common across it. Now, other behaviors were quite a bit different. Um, for example, in legal. People stayed in the organic more um, and went deeper in organic. One of the things that was very surprising to us in the legal environment was because Google shows a lot of local legal websites, um, not a lot of directories. When people yeah. did go to directories in legal, they bounced back very quickly because the directory quality was quite low. But they would go three, four, five deep in organic. You didn't have to be number one to get to, to be considered. People would consider three or four or five choices and they would go quite deep. And similarly, on when they went into the finder and a surprising number of people go in, don't just pick from the top three local results, they actually go into the finder. And particularly in mobile, they will look through 10, 12, 15 places in the Google local finder to find businesses that meet their minimum requirement for enough reviews and they'll pick from them. Uh, one, you know, once they then make the decision, oftentimes you'll see them deciding based on tribal values. In other words, they're looking for people like them. If they're people of color, they're looking to see if you're diverse. 
if they're a woman, they're looking to see if you're a woman doctor. People very frequently feel more comfortable. So it's the, the moral of this story is not only do you have to have good reviews and a fair number of them across multiple sites, you also have to have pictures that engage these potential users with your business. So that means not just pictures of you, the doc, the male white doctor, or you, the male white lawyer, but of your whole team uh, so that they can see that they will be welcome there. And the pictures need to be of people smiling. People often would say, gee, I like the looks of those people. And they would choose based on that. Once they eliminate the whoever they eliminated because they didn't have high enough reviews, they then would choose based on these sort of more soft issues of um, looks and context. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because I usually read reviews about hotels if I'm going to some places, but I don't read reviews about some products uh, that if I don't need to pay a lot for these products. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I check just... Uh, uh, the rating it's enough you know i think it, it depends uh because i remember when i didn't read reviews about yeah about movies yeah i check the rating but that was a big mistake because people are different we can see movies in different yeah. ways so yeah i think it depends and can you tell how it's important to provide this review management and what we need to analyze for example if you have a new business, you need to analyze what kind of reviews this business have and how it can help to improve the situation or get higher ranking positions, you know, after review management. Right. So, so everybody knows that re, let's see, there's legitimate and illegitimate ways to use reviews. Yeah. One of the things we saw in the legal space was a lot of lawyers are using fake product schema to get review stars on their organic pages, which users responded to very positively. When they saw stars on organic pages, that would often cause them to go to that website, uh, thinking that, you know, not knowing that this is against Google guidelines. Now, maybe the business was honest when they got there and showed them real reviews, or maybe they weren't. So uh, one issue is it's a high conversion factor, regardless mm -hmm. of any impact on rank. Um, the other thing we saw that I thought was interesting, as I mentioned, about a third of the people did read reviews. They frequently would read negative reviews. They would go in and look for negatives to try to understand if they could live with it. Again, these were your money or your life kind of queries, right? They're not a pen or a pencil or a, you know, a coffee maker. So it's, you know, uh, an employment lawyer and an OBGYN. I mean, these are important decisions. And people would respond favorably if the business owner gave a reasonable response to help them understand the context of a negative review. So out of this, I took one, you have to be asking for reviews. You have to be asking for reviews across multiple sites because Google doesn't, or users don't trust just Google reviews or just your reviews. And thirdly, you, if you're really serious about this and you want to cover most of your clients or potential incoming clients, you have to respond at least to negative reviews in a way that makes future buyers comfortable. Now we've always said this, always had this advice, but now I have real proof that that's actually the case that people do respond. Now, again, 
only 30% of the people read these reviews. Most of them read the negative reviews, but those are potential clients too. And there's no reason you should leave those on the table. So asking for reviews, showing them, uh, asking for reviews at places that Google will show, for example, reviews from around the web on your business profile, showing third-party reviews and first-party reviews at your website. And then in every place where they may read reviews, responding at least to the negative ones so that you're not just writing off that 30% who do read reviews. That's review management. Yeah, got it. Can you tell about... Uh... You know, it's interesting what I want to ask about uh, it's legal or illegal to ask about uh, review from your customers because according to Yelp, Google, you can't. Uh, so Google does not, does yeah. not have, so, 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 well, the first question is legal. The second question is technical. Mm -hmm. Legal is, does the government say it's against the rule to ask reviews? No, it is not against the mm -hmm. law. In fact, the law of the land in the United States is that you can even incentivize reviews. Mm -hmm. But if you do, the review has to include a message that this review has been incentivized. Mm -hmm. Then there are terms of service. Yelp's terms of service say that you can't ask for reviews and you can't incentivize them. Google's terms of service allows you to ask for reviews, but says you can't incentivize them. Mm -hmm. So these between the rules, the law of the land, and the actual terms of service, there's a big variety that's very platform dependent. Yeah. So the, the easiest way through those varying things is to not provide incentives because they're against Google terms of service because you can't, there is no way that you can show that the review is incentivized on Google. But I, and I would, typically just ignore Yelp. I would ask for reviews at Google and every other site that Google is showing in your industry, in that area, reviews from around the web. And the reason I pick that, those review sites and at these other review sites, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's Wedding Not for a Jewelry or one of these wedding venue sites, they show up in your knowledge graph. They can also show up on your website you can use a tool like GatherUp, which I helped create, which I'm no longer associated with, but has a very nice widget that can display these reviews on your website. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, when you do display the reviews on your website, the law is quite clear. They have to reflect reality. Mm -hmm. If you are a 4.7 business, but you only put 5.0 reviews on your website, that's against the law. That's deceptive. So you want to be sure that the reviews you are showing on your website and the averages you're showing reflects the actual realistic averages of your business. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of guest posting, you know, because according to Google, guest posting is black hat SEO. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> most SEO specialists use guest posting uh, as a uh, uh, link building strategy. And... Uh, uh, and yeah, you can write guest post with the goal to share value, but without the goal to get backlink. <laughs> and I, I don't know why uh, we need to write guest post uh, without uh, getting these backlinks. And most SEO specialists do it because of getting backlinks. And it's interesting this uh, red line between 
legal and illegal you know because uh, once i i ask i ask john muller uh about that uh it's legal or illegal black hat white hat and he he replied if you write for the sake of creating brand awareness it's legal but if you write for the sake of getting backlink it's illegal <laughs> so yeah it's like red line and uh, putin always likes to highlight red line you know if you do if you give more weapons to ukraine it's red line <laughs> then west countries give more weapons and nothing happened after that <laughs> so yeah okay it's our world okay mike i, will I don't i don't envy you fighting the bear on your own though that's you know it's you you know all the countries between europe and russia mm -hmm. are vulnerable because you're caught between two great powers you don't have enough power yourself you're not big enough. You don't have enough scale. You, Hungary, all these countries along these areas are very vulnerable. And it's Finland, yeah. you know, uh, Lithuania. They're all very vulnerable. Oh, and yeah. It's a tough spot yeah. to be because you're caught between Iraq, United States, and a hard place, Russia. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's leave Russia. I think uh, you you brought it up, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because um, I, I usually read Russian news because I'm Ukrainian. I'm interested what what's going on in my country. And uh, when you better I be see... careful. You have to forget how to speak Russian now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I speak Russian and I speak Ukrainian, but uh, it's interesting. You know, uh, I usually check because I'm curious uh, what's going on and. Uh, Russian propaganda is can take the first position at any fake news place. You know, if you if we create this rating, Russia will uh, have this first place without any doubt. Because you know, it, you know, all nation is poison with this propaganda, yeah, and all people believe that Russians are great. Guys, you didn't create Tesla, you didn't create Apple, you didn't create anything. What you have, why you are great, just <laughs> give something what you can help this world, uh, not only to occupy other countries. Okay, let's leave it. Mike, I want to ask about uh, reviews, uh, because we have two reviews, positive, negative. We have fake reviews, real reviews. And if you provide this uh, review management, uh, how you can uh, understand th that these reviews are uh, fake, these reviews are real, uh, and what to do with negative real reviews? So Google, I mean, you have to understand that Google has their own set of rules about mm -hmm. what is a legitimate review and what isn't most businesses think that a consumer needs to have done business with them to be able to leave a review google doesn't think that google thinks they only have to have interacted with you and businesses think they have to use their real name google doesn't think they have to use their real name they can use an alias or a different account to leave a review but google does require that they actually interact with you so the first thing to do is to suss out whether the reviews you are getting are a function of your actual sales and your sales process or whether they are some sort of attack either from a competitor or somebody buying reviews to hurt you to give you a lower ratings whatever 
you can't always tell, but obviously if you get more than one negative review in a very short period of time, it's a pretty clear indicator somebody's out to get you, whether it's a single customer or whether it's a business buying multiple fake reviews. So the first thing you, you want to do is, um, you know, tr well, you want to do with, firstly, with your regular customers is ask them for reviews and then track when they are actually leaving your reviews. So if the reviews are not posted by Google, you have a recourse. You can show Google what the username and the review content so you can get all the legitimate reviews because Google will remove legitimate reviews and fake reviews using their AI. And so if you're in home services, for example, and you're a new business, Google's gonna be probably nuking one out of four new reviews. Um, and you need to customers to tell you that they left your review and what their Google username is so you can apply to Google to have them restored. So the first thing is ask your customers, know which ones are actually giving reviews. In fact, what I recommend to businesses in the home services is actually say to their customers, Google is goofing up a lot now. When you leave us reviews, send us a copy so that we know. That way you have proof of the review and that can then be escalated to Google to get your legitimate reviews back. So that's on the plus side. On the minus side, you know, if you're getting a negative review and you don't recognize the name and the review content is inaccurate, you know, it's likely something's going on. Um, in both cases, Google now finally has a reporting mechanism. If you go to support, click contact us, and you type in fake review or missing review, Google will bring up a flow and a form that you can fill out to report these fake reviews or missing reviews. If you have the username, critical fake reviews, you have the link and stuff um, and you have the username. You can report them to Google. And once that happens, you get a case number. Now Google might or might not take them down or in the case of the missing ones, show them, but they will give you a case number and then they'll, you know, within three or four days, they may give you a chance to appeal their decision and then they will close it out and say, tough luck. At that point, you can then take your case to the forums where Google product experts, people who volunteer to help like myself and a few other, and a number of others can then escalate it for one or two additional uh, human interventions to see if these are real. Now, Google will look at the fake reviews at the content of the reviews. They'll look at the profile of the reviewer. They'll look at the business that's being left on, and they will look at the meta information associated with the review. And if enough of those signals, you know, and they may also look at the reviewer related to other reviewers. In other words, this local reviewer seems to be working in concert with five or six or 10 other local reviewers in a pod. They'll look at all of that and they'll use that to assess whether they should restore the missing review or to take down the fake reviews. And I've had, a, you know, if you follow this process on the, let's say the case of fake reviews, of tracking them, reporting them, and then escalating to the forum, and then you know letting us escalate them further. Pretty, you know, it's pretty close. If if they're truly a fake review, I've had nearly a hundred percent success rate getting them taken down. It yeah. may be though that it's just a negative review. Somebody who you know doesn't like your breath 
and left you a bad review and maybe came by and your door was locked and they couldn't do business with you, whatever. Maybe they didn't really do business, but maybe they did interact with you. Google will look at their at their location data if they can and use that to determine veracity. In other words, Google is using meta information from, and particularly from Android phones, uh, to both restore reviews that are missing and to take down reviews that are fake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Um, I remember uh, Shane Barker on my podcast uh, explained how his company can handle uh, fake reviews on Amazon. Uh, and he told that most companies fail to convince Amazon that these reviews are fake. But he found the way what he usually does. Uh, he analyzes uh, who left reviews. If uh, these people can buy one more time the product <laughs> and leave one more review, uh, then um, uh, he usually sends a request to Amazon and tell, look at uh, this uh, customer left a negative review, one star review. Uh, but he bought product one more time and he left positive reviews for company uh, five star review uh, with similar product, but he keeps uh, buying uh, from uh, this shop and <laughs> left uh, one star reviews. So, you know, uh, and he built uh, AI software uh, and this software can analyze. Uh, um, all these reviews at scale. I mean, like when companies have uh, plus thousand reviews, it's hard to handle, to analyze all of them. And he told it's important to give a strong reason. And I remember once uh, uh, some students uh, left uh, one-star reviews on my course on Udemy, and I sent Udemy explanation why it's not real, because uh, uh, the student bought the course and left a negative review in 10 minutes after watching 100% of uh, 18 hours video. <laughs> I don't know how to, to do it. So, and I explained to Demi and Demi uh, removed this review. Can you tell about Google? Uh, how to convince Google? I mean, like, uh, do we need to provide strong reason to explain why you think this review is negative? And if you have any average data, uh, how often Google can remove such reviews? So Google isn't interested in most businesses' reasons. Like I said, mm -hmm. they don't care if you claim you've never had business with this mm -hmm. person. They don't, they don't care about that. Yeah. Um, they do look at the language, and there is a list of things about the language in the review. You know, does it make, does it swear? Does it, you know, make uh, criminal accusations? There's, and those are listed in the review form. So if it's, language, they have to be one of these sort of criteria. If it is just spam, um, you know, fake reviews that were purchased, Google isn't going to listen to the business story, but they will look at the metadata to see if that reviewer actually was in your area, if they can, right? Mm -hmm. So if the user was using an Android, Google has can tell whether they were in your area or not. The corollary to that is if you want to spam somebody, use an iPhone. Uh, it's a little harder for Google to understand where that iPhone's been if location is shut off. Um, you didn't hear that here. Um, so to a, to, to a large extent, if it's not about the content of the review, 
Google's going to make their own assessment. You just have to file, you know, now if you have proof that you're being attacked and you can't, if Google turns it down via the normal support process, and then you come into the forum and you have proof, for example, that a social media uh, influencer had a bad experience with you and they're asking all of their um, listeners to leave you a bad review. If you have that kind of proof, and if you deliver that in the forum, then the product experts can make an extra case on your behalf. But if it's an anonymous attack, then ultimately there's a number of ways to approach it. Um, you, you know, multiple angles of attack uh, on it from a tactical point of view, you can report the profiles if they're abusing profiles, you can report the reviews um, via their mechanism and then escalate. Uh, so depends on the review. But like I said, with fake reviews that are attacks, I, if you, I've had a pretty close to 100% takedown of real attacks. Um, mm. Like I had one business that was being attacked by a competitor literally for four months. And over, over time, Google finally understood and periodically would shut off their profile, prevent all reviews from coming in. Um, that would last for three or four weeks. It would get turned back on. The reviews would start again. But once we had built up a case on their behalf, then the reviews started coming down. Then the spammers moved over to local service ads, which are no, even though the reviews function similarly, Google has much fewer AI and management tools in place to manage them. They're harder to get taken down, but still possible. So you know, this business had probably close to 400 fake reviews over a six month period. And every two weeks we would file, he would file, I would follow up on his filings with an escalation. These escalations would then get re-escalated depending on the situation. Over time, we had 98% of them taken down. So I wrote at Near Media a guide to fake review attacks step-by-step. Step. If you follow that guide, you'll have similar results. Or you can always hire me, but I'm not looking to be hired. Nice, nice. Got it, got it. Yeah. Mike, let's talk about real reviews. Uh, I remember Bill Gates once said that um, the biggest asset of uh, developing your products uh, to get negative reviews. So you can learn from them to think how you can develop, innovate your products. And um, uh, customers distrust brands if they have only positive reviews. That's okay to have negative reviews. You can learn from them. And uh, can you tell how to handle real negative reviews? Because according to some studies, people can change their minds. In 30% situations, people can change because businesses can decide their pain points, problems. And uh, so any tips how to do it? I mean, like sure. how to change 50% of Well, <laughs> firstly, is, as you pointed out, is the attitude of the business. Complaints are the building blocks of a stronger business. If you can find the problems and fix them, then they're much less likely to happen the next time. The second sort of attitudinal shift is to understand that you probably, you can try to recover that unhappy customer. But 
the odds are that you've lost them, right? 70% odds that you've lost that customer, 80%, whatever the number is. So when you respond to that person, firstly, I would suggest you try to reach out to them privately if you can, um, because a lot of times if you, what happens with public outreach is it's, if it isn't, I've just, it can go wrong quickly and you have to be a little careful. So I would try to reach out to them privately to see if you can fix it. There's things you can offer privately that you might not be able to offer uh, publicly and see if you can fix it. But in the end, if you can't fix it, then you need to respond publicly in a way that makes you look reasonable, makes you look willing to fix it, tells, because really who you are communicating with at that point is future customers, not that lost customer. So you need to be a reasonable human being. And even this is true, even if it is a fake review, because people don't know if it's a fake review. So with fake reviews, I might even respond with something like, gee, uh, Joe Smith, you know, I don't find you in my database, but if you really did business with you, I really want to make this right. So call me or contact me. I've tried to reach out to you, but I don't find your contact information. Call me or contact me so we can make it right. So even with a fake review, you can let people know that you don't recognize the person, but they don't know whether it's fake or not. And so you can't just assume and blast this person as a spammer. Blah, blah, blah. People are going to look at you and think, oh, this guy's a jerk. This woman's a jerk, whoever. So you have to first try to resolve it privately. Secondly, if you resolve it publicly, realize that your audience is the future reader. So they need to see that you are a reasonable human being so that if things go south with them, you will have some empathy for them, not just be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, nice. Valuable, valuable. Mike, I want to ask about the tool that I use every single day that was simple to ignore, hard today, impossible tomorrow about AI. It's interesting because I speak with AI more often than with my wife. I don't know why, but I ask a lot of questions. I can play with this tool. I can uh, think how I can adapt, improve what I have in content creation, my business, many things, my positive attitude. So can you tell how AI can help in local SEO, how you use AI and how you can recommend to others uh, to use AI? I use AI myself as a uh, power enhancer. I may have a visual idea, for example, for my blog post, but I'm not a graphic artist and I do not do a good job. So I go to Midjourney and I will, you know, give Midjourney a prompt that I think, you know, speaks to sort of the visual metaphor of what I'm writing about. And I will then tweak it and tweak it until I get a really good graphic uh, for my blog posts. So that's one way I use it. Another way I use it is while I am pretty good with spreadsheets, some things in Excel like lookup tables are really freaking annoying. And in local, there's a lot of data coming in. And what I've learned, like I, you know, with that data is I can upload that data to, to chat GPT uh, version four with their beta, you know, data analytics feature. And I can tell it to take values from this spreadsheet and match it up with values from that spreadsheet. 
and do this and that and combine them into a third spreadsheet and do this. So I use that as a power sort of enhancer, right? Where I know it can be done, but I don't have quite enough skills or I could do it, but it would take me two freaking hours to do it. Like in the case of the spreadsheet or three hours, I can throw that into chat GPT or I can take the idea of visual metaphor and have a, uh, you know, have it create an image that might meet that need. So I use it that way a lot, all the time. Um, in terms of writing content, I think there are better ways to generate content for example, that more accurately capture the voice of the small business owner. Most small business owners can talk for an hour about how they're different and how they're unique, and they can speak in their own voice. So if you can get that small business owner on, say, a, just a simple Riverside interaction, ask them a question, give them two or three minutes to answer it, ask them another question, give them two or three minutes to answer it. Riverside will then transcribe that, and you'll be able to then edit that content with the transcription, the AI transcription. You'll be able to edit that content and create a piece and a short video, which is now can be shared on Google, on TikTok, on you know Instagram, wherever, uh, and you can use it to create content that's in a more authentic voice of the small business owner, uh, which a small business owner tends to not be able to write, but they can talk about it all day long. So I believe there are sort of halfway measures right now in terms of content where you can, like I said, use AI to do the transcription, to clean the transcription up. Right. You can then once you get the transcription from Riverside, you could either manually edit it or put it in ChatGPT to perhaps edit it. But then you're capturing the real voice of that business and you have content that is and video simultaneously that is then useful, can be repurposed for their website, for all these different marketing opportunities, et cetera. So those are ways that I am currently using it. You know, as it gets more sophisticated, I'll come up with more ways, I guess. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Love it. Love it. And Mike, I have my final question about the future of local SEO. Today we have AI. Uh, Apple is going to launch augmented reality, this headset. Uh, we will see how it looks. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, the technologies are coming fast. Uh, we, Google is going to launch uh, uh, search generative experience. We have chatbots, uh, Bing, uh, chat, chat GPT. So yeah, it's interesting, excited customers, users have options. And can you tell what kind of future will be in local SEO? Because uh, the tendency, according to studies, Google decreases uh, the number of clicks. Uh, and many uh, users uh, open Google, find what they need, and just leave it. So uh, how we can adapt to this possible future when we get just, I don't know, impressions, not clicks, and uh, yeah, and because of all these technologies, what do you think? <laughs> well, so the first thing is very real now, which is measure where your clicks are coming from. Mm -hmm. um, most you know, in local particularly, you know, UTM codes are a powerful way to understand where clicks are coming from, where free clicks are coming from, where paid clicks are coming from. 
understand the search results in your business. For example, in this legal research we did, when uh, you know they showed localized results 97% of the time, but they only showed the local pack about 75% of the time. So there was a lot of organic opportunity. We'll understand that. Understand that you know that when they do add LSAs in local service ads into that mix, what was maybe a 50-50 split between the local pack and organic becomes a third, a third, and third split. That Google can easily shift the results that they want people to click on. And so you have to sort of understand that. So first is under you know, track your results, know where they're coming from, follow that don't commit to and don't commit to a new source without testing it. So a lot of times people just believe they know where things are coming from. They're not tracking it. So things, while they do change and things will change quickly, they don't change that quickly. And the other rule is that the big guys typically stay the big guys. Now, unless maybe there's a government case that knocks Google off its high ores or somehow Apple goes out of business. But right now, for free organic marketing traffic, you know, I'm not talking about paid or ads or influencer stuff. I'm talking about free. Google's delivering, you know, 90%. Apple's delivering 5% in the local, depending on the country you're in. And everybody else is splitting up the 5% that's left. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe Apple's delivering 10% and everybody else, you know, Google's 85% and everybody else splitting up to 5%. So that's generalized, may not be true for your business. So measure it for your business, understand it, track it when it starts changing. When you experiment with a new, one of these new services, track it so you can see if it's worth doubling down in and see if your ROI is any good. And that way, it doesn't matter what the future is, you're ready for it. You're tracking, you're changing, you're testing, you're trying, you're throwing away the ones that don't work, you're doubling down the ones that do work, and you keep that up. If you keep that up, then you can't go wrong no matter what happens. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I agree. We need to adapt. And it's adapt not- continually through testing and measurement. That's that's the that's the the rule. Yeah. And if you do yeah. that, then you know, you will see that the changes they look fast when you only look at them once a year, but they really are pretty steady and um you know either google is you know becoming more of a monopoly or slightly less of a monopoly right (laughs) but they're still going to be pretty big influence apple is maybe going to be you know uh, a distant second place or maybe they'll be not so distant second place those things aren't going to change that quickly because those guys are currently controlling the platform that everybody's using yeah, it, it takes time to change habits, even if yes. you have technologies <laughs> yeah, and marketers on That's TV right. and radio didn't lose their jobs. So to digital, so. the Apple Vision headset could be five years before it even starts to take off mm-hmm. and another five before it has an impact. If you look at the history of the iPhone, it came out in 2007, it was 2012 before the iPhone and Android had 50% of market share of phones. And it is only now, 2019, 2020, where it is the dominant way that people interact with the internet. So that's a 12, 15 year cycle. And you 
can always shift throughout that cycle from desktop to mobile, from, you know, organic to local, you have time to do it. It isn't, it doesn't have to happen right away. And as long as you're measuring and tracking, you can you know, make those decisions. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Valuable. I agree. I couldn't agree more. We need to adapt. It's part of the job. If you are a marketer, <laughs> you need to adapt. I think you need to adapt to uh, at any job, but in marketing, it's a must have. <laughs> Mike, it's a big pleasure. to get. Always a pleasure being here. Yeah, Thank I love much. this experience. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. So I uh, doing with Greg Sterling, we do a weekly news, three times a week newsletter okay. at nearmedia.co. You can sign up there. Uh, Mondays are the sort of Google day where I write about bugs and features and opportunities in Google. Uh, in And then Wednesday and Friday are uh, maybe Google, but maybe other local opportunities. It focuses on local because we believe local is where it's at. Uh, local is where the internet and the rubber meet, rubber of the road meet each other and where most transactions take place. So uh, you can read the newsletter there. I also write there uh, at nearmedia.co. And I post a lot in the Google business profile forum so if you want to see, see the real leading edge of the problems that I'm seeing and the responses I have to them, which sometimes are testing of responses uh, because I can't see what the user can see, uh, you can follow me in the Google profile, Google business profile forum, or I'm active still on X Twitter. So yeah. I have not found a home in threads or Mastodon uh, or LinkedIn. So I'm still active on Twitter and my handle there is mblumenthal and open email policy mblumenthal at nearmedia.co. Feel free to ask me questions. If it's a, you know, if it's a major job, I might tell you what it's going to cost, but if it's something simple, I can answer it quickly. I'll be glad to. I have an open email policy, so feel free to email me. Nice, nice. Guys, you can find all links, mention links in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again, Mike. A big pleasure. I recommend to anyone to subscribe to Mike uh, newsletters because you can see it's consistent, valuable, and you can help. Uh, all these newsletters can help you to become a better marketer. Okay, guys. Love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.